Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. The Richard Serra Show. It's a fantastic show. One of the greatest shows in the country of Canada, and that's saying a lot, okay, when you think about it. And we will never build a war with Canada because we always want our great friends with the Richard Serra Show to be able to come in and out whatever they please, okay? That's good to know. Thank you, Donald. Hey, welcome back. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News and Notes from the Underground for Monday, August the 23rd, and it is great to be back. After a week away, recharging my batteries, taking some time with my family, a week away from or a, a week away from what is now this dizzying news cycle. It's like an eternity. And since my last live show here, a federal election has been called. Why? We're not really sure. Not even our prime minister knows. Uh, the Western backed government of Afghanistan has been toppled by a medieval death cult. Uh, aided and abetted by one of the worst policy blunders, foreign policy blunders in modern history. And predictably, of course, all chaos ensued. Imagine, imagine ordering the withdrawal of military troops from a collapsing country before providing a proper escape route for thousands of American citizens, leaving billions of dollars worth of sophisticated military hardware behind to be used by the same medieval death cult. And then going on national television and claiming that you had baked 
this sort of chaos into the equation when you made the decision to pull out, except that only three weeks prior, you said there's no reason to believe such a withdrawal would go badly. And then when asked about the desperate Afghans falling from departing aircraft, thousands of feet, falling to their deaths, your only response is, oh, that was four or five days ago. That was the president, Joe Biden, of course. Meanwhile, here in Canada, we have Canadian citizens stuck in Afghanistan. We've known for nearly five months back in, I think it was February or March, Biden announced the withdrawal. We've known for four or five months about the U.S. plans to pull out. And here we are scrambling again at the last minute. Many observers are wondering whether the prime minister's election call has inhibited Canada's ability to help its allies in a country thrown into the chaos since it fell to the uh, Taliban this month. A U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis will be here shortly to discuss the fall of Afghanistan, uh, what went wrong and where do we go from here? More importantly, where do the beleaguered people of, Af- of Afghanistan go from here? All right. So for months on this program, I think I've been pretty careful to refer to the COVID jabs as approved under an emergency use authorization, because that's, in fact, what they were under an emergency use authorization. Well, uh, even when other media outlets were far less precise in their language, that changed today. It all changed today because the U.S. FDA gave full approval to the Pfizer COVID-19 jab and uh, the vaccine made by Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech, now carries the strongest endorsement from the Food and Drug Administration. More than 200 million Pfizer doses already have been administered uh, in the U.S. and Canada and hundreds of millions more worldwide, again, since emergency use began in December. What does this mean? Will this somehow reduce vaccine hesitancy? Will this somehow alter the course of the pandemic? We'll talk about that with Dr. Patrick Phillips. He joins us every Monday. Uh, We'll also discuss another published study in a prestigious journal concluding the effectiveness of ivermectin in treating COVID. Another one. This was a meta-analysis. And yet, this information doesn't seem to matter. Nobody in positions of power, not public health, not elected leaders, no one seems to care. Again, Dr. Patrick Phillips uh, will be here shortly to discuss both both of these important stories. So the the federal election campaign is over uh, or is over a week old. I wish it was over. Just getting started, folks. And now that I'm back from vacation, we can begin kind of an official election coverage over the course of the next three and a half weeks or so. We'll be reaching out to as many candidates from across the greater Toronto area, including Peel and Halton, as many as possible, all parties uh, and including the leaders. So we'll uh, we'll begin that today with a, uh, a candidate from my own riding of Thornhill. Uh, the um, individual Samuel Greenfield is running for the People's Party of Canada. Uh, news not in the news, of course. I'll uh, I'll play some audio from a very angry woman wishing death on the unmasked and the unvaccinated, which leads me to ask. I don't know. Is there some ingredient in these jabs that turns people into complete jerks? I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, the German word of the day, of course, uh, with Lou, that's hour two. And uh, today I, I mentioned the uh, 
the candidate, uh, Samuel Greenfield from the People's Party. All right. Uh, what else is going on throughout the pandemic? You know, I've tried to ask some pretty fundamental some might call them obvious underlying questions, the ones that rarely seem to get asked by the other guys. Questions like, you know, if you're going to lock down, shut down huge sectors of the economy and subject your citizenry to incredible hardship uh, based on a PCR test, it might be good to know how it works, how a PCR test works. What does a positive test actually mean? Cases, for example, versus infections. That's important. Another in question, another question uh, that doesn't get asked, in fact, Merely asking the question is seen as heresy. Ask it and you might be banned from social media. If you live in Australia, well, things could get much, much worse. Anyway, that question is, do masks work? Pretty obvious question, right? I think it's an important question. And I've been asking that question a lot. What is the science behind mask mandates? What is the science behind forcing children as young as four years old to wear masks all day long during school? An interesting article published by a free market think tank in the U.S. tackles this very question. And I'll speak to the author, Jeffrey Anderson, who is the former director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics. And he's in our feature interview today. And then there's this gentleman, Lou. Lou, buddy, I've missed you. How are you? Well, fantastic, Richard. And welcome back. So uh, how was your week off? Did you get to the beach? We did. We um, we went up to Horseshoe Valley. We went to Wasaga Beach. We went to the uh, the scenic caves. Uh, I, I skipped. You know, you've been to the scenic caves, I'm guessing, up in Blue no. Mountain. Okay. No, I haven't. So, uh, Jacob, uh, Brandon, either of you been to the scenic caves? So I'm a little claustrophobic. And um, there's this one portion of the cave. They call it Fat Man's Misery because the rocks are they, it's a bit of an optical illusion. They look like they're very close together and you've got to kind of squeeze through this narrow passage. It's called Fat Man's Misery for obvious reasons. And um, I was I was all game to go and try. But I just uh, people started coming in behind me and all suddenly I felt closed off and I had to make a beeline out of the caves. So I didn't I didn't do Fat Man's Misery, but we so went let me to get this uh, yeah. straight. You abandoned your twins and your wife in the cave <laughs> as you went screaming I, out. I had to trample over them. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, I was going to say it was like a who concert, but that <laughs> general oh, admission, hey, festival seating. Cincinnati. That's it. Um, okay. So uh, you went to the beach. How much gear did you have to haul from the car, the parking area? to where you were going to set up camp. Was there a, a cooler? There was very little, actually, in the way oh, wow. of, you know, uh, the last time I went up there, the boys were very young. The last time we were at Wasaga Beach, they might have been seven, six or seven. And there was, you know, all manner of inflatables and there were coolers and all of that stuff. No, we travel pretty light now. We had uh, our baseball gloves. Uh, we had a, a small cooler with some cold beverages, and that was about it. And, you know, the place was completely empty wow yeah i'm surprised completely empty. no no uh like chairs like camp chairs to sit on no we just sat on a picnic table overlooking the beach oh okay yeah and uh it was kind of uh overcast so we spent a, uh, maybe three four hours there then we headed up to the uh the scenic caves and then we went to the uh horseshoe valley resort Okay. For a little R and R. Yeah. The now boys did some mountain overnight? biking. Yeah, did we did. You stay overnight. Oh, very we nice. did. Yeah. Very nice. So, so Linda and Madeline went to uh, the beach, and uh, they took a cooler. 
with food, right? So there was right. food prep for the cooler. Uh, there was uh, refrigeration, right? I had to make the ice packs work. Two chairs, a kind of a uh, lean-to, a shed. You oh, know, a shade tent, yeah. A, a shade tent, there you go. And inflatables. Yeah. And I said, and I didn't go, right? I said, oh, it's too hot, it's too humid, and it's a big haul down to the beach area. I said, no, I'm not doing that. You go, think of me, I'll stay here with the dog, <laughs> who's not heat tolerant either. That's right, because Lou, you end up like the Sherpa guide, right? You end up doing most of the, uh, oh, the yeah. sledding. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, I don't mind going when the weather is cool or cold or pleasant. But Saturday was just, uh, you know, Louisiana hot, sticky, oh, yeah. muggy. Not my thing. No, Right. No. Yeah. It was like a rehearsal for Hades. <laughs> Absolutely. The uh, they took that. That's the show they take on the road before the big show. That's it. That's right. It's like off Broadway. <laughs> off Hades. <laughs> All right, my friend. I've got another. I missed the German word of the day. It's How like, is that uh, possible? You didn't. You weren't practicing with your family. No, I was not. I should oh have been. God. If I was and doing my due diligence, I should have been practicing. Now, I just want to know, you're wearing a, a sweatshirt that says University of? Uh, Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Okay. Right. Did not what? attend. <laughs> so is that part of your uh, thrifting down at the Value Village? Uh, no, no. I think this was actually a uh, legitimate Christmas present from a family member. Oh, there you go. But I've never attended. Never attended unless I may have driven through the uh, campus in the back of a squad car. I don't know. Memory's a little uh, hazy. Well, get that honorary degree uh, mechanism stoked and you never know. All right, buddy. We'll talk in an hour. Happy capitalism. Happy capitalism. Lou Skeezus. So those of you of a, a certain vintage may recall the images of the U.S. withdrawal from Vietnam back in 75. Overloaded helicopters lifting off from the roof of the U.S. Embassy in Saigon as the uh, the North Vietnamese overran the country. Well, President Biden assured Americans the final U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan would be different. He was right. It was worse, much worse. That conversation happens in three minutes. Stay with us. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. Let's discuss the fiasco, the military and humanitarian crisis that is Afghanistan. Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. McGinnis, U.S. Army retired airborne ranger, infantry officer with service in four infantry divisions on three continents, author of a number of books, including his latest Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. So 20 years later, something like six and a half trillion dollars later, and it ends up in a complete mess. Your your general thoughts uh, as, as we get into this? Well, it certainly is embarrassing. This was uh, absolutely doctrinally wrong, strategically stupid. Uh, and I believe, though it hasn't been confirmed, that uh, Austin, the Secretary of Defense, and Milley, the chairman, uh, provided contrary recommendations to the president. It's my call, my decision, or you know, my opinion that they should have resigned when the commander in chief completely rejects their contrary advice, and the result is what we have. I, I think Mr. Biden's 50 years in Washington should have been cut short a long time ago, and clearly, 
this debacle is hurting the United States and hurting, obviously, a lot of innocent people in that war-torn country. I don't think it takes, uh, you know, a military strategist or even a mid-level bureaucrat to figure out uh, that you don't you don't withdraw your troops. You don't shut down uh, Bagram Air Force Base before you have a plan to get your people out. How could someone something that fundamental and basic have been overlooked? No, you're right. Uh, We should have kept Bagram, which had three active runways when we left it. Uh, Of course, what. Karzai International has is one runway, and we're using it to its maximum extent right now. Uh, The last people to leave a scenario like this, much like what was going on in Vietnam in 1975, are the military. You you need the military, the guys and gals with guns, uh, to defend uh, the diplomats and the civilians that uh, need to be extricated from a very difficult situation. Yeah, this was done absolutely backwards, and as a result, we're seeing the chaos uh, planned out. And it's not as if Mr. Biden, you know, not only was told by uh, people in the Pentagon, but he was told by uh, the people in the embassy. Uh, we know in early uh, July, a memo went to Blinken, uh, our Secretary of State, and said, look, you know, this is going to be an absolute disaster. Uh, you need to be prepared for that, and clearly... Uh, Mr. Biden didn't follow that advice either. So President Trump, former President Trump, had also intended on withdrawing troops uh, or winding the the mission down finally. Um, I mean, was was the idea of bringing everyone home ill advised or was it simply the the uh, the method in which it was done? It was the method, Richard. Uh, Yes, uh, most Americans wanted the troops home. Uh, I think that uh, most of us, however, recognize that you needed to leave a seed in place as as a reassurance to the Afghans that we weren't totally abandoning them. You know, ever since uh, about 18 years ago, I've publicly been supporting uh, really withdrawing as many forces as we reasonably can or could uh, at the same time, keeping uh, a force to counter terrorism should it raise its ugly head again, as it will, and also to do some uh, residual training, as well as what most people aren't aware of. We had thousands and thousands of civilian contractors that were maintaining the aircraft that we basically gave to the Afghans, as well as most of their sophisticated equipment. So not only have we withdrawn you know, up up until a couple of weeks ago, most of the troops, but we've drew all those at, all those civilians that were maintaining their equipment. So, you know, they were left high and dry. And so no wonder you found Afghan soldiers saying, what am I fighting for? And they kind of withdrew, went back to their villages and uh, tried to escape the looking eyes, the peering eyes of the Taliban. So 20 years uh, of training, I, I mentioned about $6 trillion. I'm not sure what portion of that was used to to train uh, soldiers. But there was a report, and we'll get into this when we come back here in a, in a, in a few moments. But there was a, kind of a, I don't know if it was a quarterly or a yearly report that came from uh, something called the Special Inspector General on Afghanistan Reconstruction. And from from the beginning, and I think this office started around 2006, 2007, every report basically said we're doing this all wrong. 
Uh, and yet that advice was repeatedly ignored uh, by by uh, Washington. We'll uh, we'll discuss that when we come back. Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State and Alliance of Evil. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Don't go away. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's The Richard Serrett Show. We're back with Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired. The author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, uh, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and Progressive Evil. We're talking about Afghanistan. I mentioned the Special Inspector General's uh, investigation, or uh, sorry, uh, Afghanistan reconstruction report that came out. I think it was quarterly. They talk, it's a pretty bleak picture. They say 20 years, hundreds of billions of dollars um, spent on, on training forces, and it all kind of collapsed uh, within weeks. Uh, and yet they say, you know, these these reports, these warnings, which started some 13, 14 years ago, were were virtually ignored at every step. How do you address something like that, uh, uh, Bob? Yeah, that is difficult, Richard. In fact, I hired some of the people that work for CIGAR and uh, filed those. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Report. It's been humbling over the years how in the world the political class and the top military brass in the Pentagon and the State Department could ignore those bleak assessments. It's never been bright, even at the very beginning. You know, we've continued to pour billions and billions of dollars into a black hole in the middle of Central Asia, and we've somehow uh, some of these political people could declare victory. Uh, and I suppose if people weren't paying attention, you know, we would have left and it would have been chaotic. But thanks to media reports, we see that you know, we had a failed strategy at the very end, certainly a failed exit strategy that has resulted in deaths and you know, chaos at this point. And it looks as if the Taliban, you know, clearly is taking the entire country. Now, I am finding some overseas reports that are indicating that there is a contingent in northern Afghanistan uh, gathering under the former vice president and one of the Ministry of Defense officials. They've got thousands of uh, former Afghan security forces. They're beginning to push back against the Taliban. And I would hope uh, that if we're at all you know, thinking wisely that we're going to encourage that sort of resistance. But, you know, that's the ongoing civil war piece that you're not seeing in the mainstream media. In the meantime, billions of dollars of sophisticated military hardware have been left there at the the disposal of this medieval death cult. Um, Are we going to, is the United States planning on sending forces back in there to, I don't know, destroy this equipment? 
It's detonated. Well, they should have. Clearly, we left behind Black Hawk helicopters and drones, uh, you know, a lot of thousands and thousands of weapons that had been invested in and other sophisticated things like night vision goggles and the like. You know, as I watched the television, I could identify most of the weapons, some of which are pretty high tech pieces of equipment. Uh, They made a a conscious decision in the Pentagon and the State Department that they were going to either demill there in Afghanistan, which we did some, but not a lot, uh, or we were not going to extricate all those weapons because of cost. You know, and and so I really question not only the geopolitical implications of a bad decision, uh, but why they thought they could just, you know, leave behind billions, you know, I, certainly in excess of $100 billion worth of good equipment in the hands of the Taliban. Now, that doesn't mean the Taliban can can use those. Uh, after all, they went on a killing campaign against pilots, and so they probably run away or killed most of the, the pilots, but they'll find somebody to fly those things. Uh, now, of course, they can't maintain it, so they'll have to you know, go on the black market and find people that can maintain those pieces of equipment. But along with the weapons, there's a lot of ammunition and so forth. So it's it really is a very dark chapter in the history of the United States. And it's not going to help the ongoing uh, counterterrorism war that we've been fighting for 20 years against the likes of Al-Qaeda, because Al-Qaeda has a new home. It can, it can leave the caves of uh, southern Pakistan, northern Pakistan, go into Kabul and live it up for a while because now they have new friends that are running a, a giant country in the middle of Central Asia. You mentioned, the, the, you know, the possibility of uh, a kind of an insurgency developing in the north under the the, uh, the former vice president and some of his commanders. But I'm wondering overall, after 20 years there, uh, was a generation, was there enough enough of a seed left with the younger people in Afghanistan that might sprout, in other words, an appreciation for for a better life, freedom, these sorts of things. Is that possible that that might germinate? No, no doubt. Uh, the remnants of that seed are, are very evident. You know, whether you're in Herat or Mazar Sharif or Kandahar or Kabul, uh, but uh, I suspect that the Taliban is not naive to that fact as well which is why they're going around you know, trying to eliminate anyone that uh, might be part of that seed. And I suspect as well the Chinese and the Russians who are advising the Taliban on how to further intimidate the U.S. and those that are aligned with the U.S. Uh, will do its best to keep that seed from flourishing. Now, as I've already in- indicated, there is a counterforce uh, that is trying to make a comeback uh, now, whether or not it's going to be funded appropriately is a different issue, because if you look around, there's no friend in Iran, there's no friend in Pakistan and China, or even even the stands, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and so forth. So how in the world would you get supplies in there? The Russians aren't going to help. Um, these are all tough questions, but th- that's reality on the ground. All right. Uh, well, we'll uh, continue to watch this and uh, hopefully... Uh You'll be with us again soon. Bob, I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you, Richard. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil and Progressive Evil, all available at Amazon. All right. When we come back, another published study concludes ivermectin is likely to have a significant impact on the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic globally. 
Dr. Patrick Phillips is next with the details. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Hey, Richard Serrett here, and I'm here with Dr. Cass Ingram, the author of 30 books on natural healing. Cass, you and I have known each other for more than 25 years. I think of you as Dr. Oregano, and I know you're wild about wild oregano and the oregano P73 juice, but it's different than the oregano oil. How? Hey, when I was in the mountains, the village chief said, look, we don't use oregano oil. We use the juice, and he pulls out these pop bottles he made in his backyard, and they're using it for heart disease, cancer, and bronchitis as well as diabetes and he's claiming it works well for 20 years i've been using it it does the job thanks cass oregano p73 juice from north american urban spice available at health food stores across the gta you can order online at oregano.com that's o-r-e-g-a-n-o-l 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 oregano juice from oregano.com All right. Welcome back. So here's a uh, meta-analysis published in a uh, a journal called the American Journal of Therapeutics. Let me just read the conclusion here. Moderate certainty evidence finds that large reductions in COVID-19 deaths are possible using ivermectin. Using ivermectin early in the clinical course may reduce numbers uh, progressing to severe disease. The apparent safety and low cost suggest that ivermectin is likely to have a significant impact on the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic globally. Here to discuss uh, this and uh, the, uh, well, today's announcement, the FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine is Patrick, Dr. Patrick Phillips. He's our uh, small town family physician and ER physician hailing from Englehart, Ontario. Patrick, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Richard? Very well. Uh, so the uh, the American Journal of Therapeutics. Are you familiar with this publication? Is it a reputable uh, publication? Uh, I believe so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a. I, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> um, but I, I am pretty sure it's a, a mainstream. Uh, uh, publication for right. Sure. It, appe- it appears to be mainstream. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, the conclusion. What is it? What do they mean by moderate certainty evidence? What does that mean? Yeah, so moderate certainty evidence is actually quite good evidence. So uh, when they talk about certainty of evidence, uh, generally they're looking at the size of the trial. So if you're looking at the highest quality of evidence, that's those multi-million dollar um, uh, multi-center randomized control trials, including thousands and thousands of patients. Um, So moderate quality evidence is, is quite good, and we base a lot of our our clinical decisions on moderate quality evidence. Um, to be honest, to get high quality evidence, uh, only uh, pharmaceutical companies or, or major campaigns with tons of funding can actually get that. So uh, it's not really a really realistic standard. So moderate quality evidence is actually good. This is this is something that we base clinical decisions on all the time. So uh, this is not something that we should be afraid of of acting on. Um, uh, uh, especially since a lot of our, our clinical decisions are even based on weak evidence. So, um, so, so yes, uh, this is uh, very significant. It's to be honest, it, it's something that we've known for such a long time now, right? This is yet another meta-analysis of the evidence um, that's showing the same thing that agrimectin works. 
and it has has the potential to uh, reduce mortality and hospitalization by a huge amount. Um, and I think that, I mean, the time was yesterday, but uh, there's no time like now that we need to really uh, get this going in this country as we're heading into the fall when we're likely to see uh, respiratory infections like COVID um, starting to get people sick. And that's just a, it's a normal thing that we see every year, but we now have a treatment and uh, these deaths and, and these cases, um, these lockdowns are entirely preventable. And this, this, uh, this study shows that uh, yet again. Right. Right. You and I have been talking. We've been hammering on this for for months now, for sure. Ivermectin. Um, But this meta analysis, it's a meta analysis of 15 trials. So just uh, for those of us not in the know, what what exactly is a meta analysis? Yeah. So a meta analysis is actually one of the highest quality uh, standards of uh, of evidence in science and in medicine. Um, And. Basically, what can happen is in in any one trial, even if it's a large trial, um, based on the study design or the way that uh, um, they implemented it, like maybe some, like they didn't blind it or, or they knew that one group had the uh, medication and one didn't, basically, there, there can be sources of bias. So if you're just looking at one trial, sometimes that doesn't really get you down to the truth. So what we like to do in medicine is uh, is basically take all the trials and we pool them together. So we take the data from all of them and, uh, and we pool it into a table. And what that tells us is based on the amount of patients that were in that um, in each trial uh, and the, the effect that happened on each patient, basically we turn it into one big trial and we look at based on all the evidence together, um, is this uh, medication effective or not? And, um, and in this case, um, pretty much all of the trials had a positive effect anyway. So really the question is not so much, uh, there's not really even much of a question about whether or not ivermectin works because there weren't, these large trials or anything showing a negative effect. Um, there may have been one, but, um, but uh, for the most part, they're all, all a positive effect. So the question really here is only how effective is ivermectin? Right. And, that's and the, been, other, the, the other yeah. question is, you know, why is it taking so long for this information and these studies, uh, you know, to filter their way up into the mainstream media, into into uh, discussions with public health officials and elected leaders. Why do they continue? This is a rhetorical question and we'll we'll take a yeah. time out here. But, you know, why does this information continue to be ignored? Dr. Patrick Phillips stays with us when we come back. We'll talk about today's announcement, FDA approval for the uh, Pfizer vaccine. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Dr. Patrick Phillips stays with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Dr. P underscore MD. I want to switch gears here, uh, Patrick, and talk about uh, today's big announcement. The uh, U.S. FDA giving full approval to uh, the COVID vaccine, Pfizer. Now, um, it had been used. The other vaccines were being approved under what they call emergency use authorization. So now it gets approval. What's the difference? I mean, what does that mean that now they have approved it versus the EUA, the the emergency use authorization? 
Yeah, so um, so approval generally means a higher standard uh, of evidence needs to be met. Um, uh, basically, um, that there's a sufficient amount of evidence to show that it's uh, both safe and effective. Uh, at least that's what's claimed, anyway. Um, and uh, and as well, this also means that a lot of uh, regulations that apply to emergency use authorization, um, such as the fact that it could not be mandated, uh, which is part of the law, um, despite the fact that that law was very clearly violated, uh, that it means that there's no longer that contradiction in the law. So these vaccines can be mandated in the U.S. um, if they're fully approved. Um, so yeah, I think, I think what we're going to see is probably a lot more, um, application of, of these vaccines, uh, a lot, a lot less, uh, um, uh, holding back, I think at least in, uh, enforcing these vaccines in some places, which I think is unfortunate. Um, but to be honest, I haven't looked through the entire approval, uh, but I, I have seen that it, it's been approved, uh, for ages 16 and above. So I think below that, it's still under emergency use, use authorization in the U.S. And it was approved as well um, uh, on their authorization letter um, uh, while some of their pediatric studies are still pending. So it's been granted, quote-unquote, full approval, but there are still caveats, especially when it comes to kids. Now, technically, isn't... Aren't these vaccines still in the clinical trial phase? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, some of them are still in um, uh, clinical trials till 2023. I'm not entirely sure in the U.S. Um, uh, what the status of those trials still is. I think what happened was they had a six-month review, and that's what they submitted to the FDA, and based on that, they they... They gave the approval, but I don't I don't know all the details on that. And and uh, I don't know if you're able to answer this, but how FDA approval happens. I mean, aren't there supposed to be isn't there supposed to be some transparency? Isn't there aren't there supposed to be hearings, uh, public hearings? Uh, It seems to me that this happened all rather suddenly and behind closed doors. Or am I wrong? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, normally the normal course of approving vaccines uh, happens over the course of years. Um, yeah, and generally there, there's hearings and there's uh, a lot more stringent uh, requirements uh, that need to be put in place, such as having long-term safety data, right, on these vaccines, especially with uh, completely novel technology, mRNA gene therapy technology that's being used, Um it's kind of it's this is unprecedented right on on how quickly these have been approved and without the long-term safety data to be honest the evidence has not changed uh the fact that they've approved it in my opinion changes nothing like uh, there's no long-term safety data so i don't think this proves them any safer than they were before um but um to be honest it uh makes me much more wary of of trusting anything that necessarily is FDA approved. I think uh, I'm definitely going into the future. Uh, that's not that's not going to be my uh, criteria for proving whether something I'm going to go right to the data. Uh, and when you look at the data with these vaccines, you look at the VAERS report uh, and the failure of all of those to be investigated or even noted uh, by the FDA. Um, 
uh, I think is is very concerning. Uh, like I said, uh, I think previously, the uh, the swine flu vaccine in 1976 was pulled off the market immediately after 25 to 50 deaths, and with over 12,000 deaths reported to the FDA at this point. How are they approving a vaccine when they should be pulling it off the market while these deaths are investigated? Uh, so I, I think uh, this is majorly concerning. Uh, to be honest, it's um, going to, like I said, going to make me question anything that is, is FDA approved um, because this is not the first time something like this has happened. I mean, I mean, this is the first time something like this has happened, but it's not the first time that an unsafe medication has been uh, approved. You look at Vioxx, it was pulled off the market because it was causing heart attacks and strokes. Um, but this, I think, is the first time that a medication um, or therapy that we already have data showing that it's unsafe has been uh, approved by the FDA. So I think this is unprecedented and I think is going to be a major blow uh, to their international reputation. They were previously the, the gold standard uh, for uh, medication and drug safety. Uh, and I think we're going to see it. Um, we're going to see that definitely change in the future as this is going to be a major blow to the reputation. Um, All right. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, Dr. Phillips, we always appreciate your yeah. time. Again, people can follow you on Twitter at Dr. P underscore MD at Dr. P underscore MD. And we'll talk again next week, if not before. Thank you so much. Look forward to it. Okay. Take care. Dr. Patrick Phillips. All right. Hour two news, not in the news, the German word of the day. A uh, will. Uh, Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Talk to our first candidate of the 2021 election season and, uh, well, some other goodies all coming up. Do masks work? Let's not forget that one. That's our feature today. Do masks work with uh, Jeffrey Anderson. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right. So no live Blue Jay games in uh, my future or my boy's future. I mean, vaccinated or unvaccinated. I just I will not participate in a um, a vaccine passport system. I just think it's odious. I think it is morally wrong. And I don't understand. Am I missing something here? Uh, am I missing something? If you're vaccinated, you can still spread the Delta variant. In fact, now studies are coming in. I mean, experts long suspected that if you were vaccinated, the virus 
that grows inside your your nose is just as in, is as is just as infectious as that in unvaccinated people. So where is then the rationale for segregating the vaccinated from the unvaccinated? Yes, I know if you're vaccinated, you're 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 li- far less likely to die or be hospitalized. But you can still spread the virus to someone else, whether they're vaccinated or not. So that the whole underpinning completely collapses. But I'm just a simple man. I'm not a virologist like uh, world famous virologist, Mayor Patrick Brown. So I'll just keep my mouth shut, I guess. Uh, no, won't. Anyway, uh, coming up this hour, we're going to speak with Jeffrey Anderson. He, uh, he recently wrote a piece in the CD Journal. This is a publication of the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research. It's uh, sort of billed as a leading free market think tank. And uh, Jeffrey also served as director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics for about four or five years. He's a statistician. He he crunches numbers. And uh, he's looked at all of these randomized controlled uh, trials, RCTs, regarding the efficacy of masks. And he'll, he'll be here to tell us, in fact, whether masks work. He's reviewed the evidence. Remember that when we used to talk about the evidence, we used to talk about science and debate science and compare studies. So he'll look at the RCTs, the randomized controlled trials versus the observational studies or what what they call cohort studies. RCTs have long since been considered sort of the gold standard in such studies. They based, you know, medical decisions based on RCTs, not so much on observational. But now the people that are promoting masks and mask mandates, they've forgotten. They've forgotten about the RCTs. They don't want to talk about the randomized control trials. They only want to hold up a few of these observational studies in support of uh, their mask mandates. Dr. Jeff, or not doctor, uh, statistician Jeffrey H. Anderson uh, will be here. And uh, as I mentioned earlier today, we're going to sort of launch our election coverage and we'll begin talking to candidates from all the parties. We're going to reach out to everybody across the GTA. Whoever gets back to us gets back, gets, gets back to us and we'll get that person on and you can meet the candidates uh, from across Peel and Halton region and, and, uh, um, the greater Toronto area. And we'll uh, begin today with Samuel Greenfield, who's running for the People's Party of Canada in the federal riding of Thornhill, which is where I'm perched as we speak. News, not in the news. The news. All right, Lou, I've got, I've come loaded with audio today. Um, okay, so if that's going to be the case... Let's do the German word of the uh, of the day right now. All right. You want the German word? I've missed it, well, Lou. I have missed it. So, yes, for you, we're going to do the German word of the day. Well, you know, if you're going to crowd it out with a bunch of recorded bits, I mean, this is a live radio show. Let's go live. <laughs> All right. German word of the day. All right. Here it is. He, he speaks. He, uh, so let it be written. So let it be done. The German word of the day, Jacob. Here we go. The German word of the day is Bauschpinzellen. Bauschpinzellen. Bausch 
Kinzelen. How was that, Lou? Can you use it in a sentence? Uh, well, it, I'll give you the literal meaning. It's something like abdominal brushing. Abdominal brushing. It means to flatter or fawn over someone. So the term originally described the act of rubbing the bellies of cats and dogs. I'm sure you've done that with uh, your fine furry friend there, Sebastian. You've rubbed his belly. Uh, you know, who's a good dog? Who's a good dog, right? That's abdominal brushing or bauschpinzellen. Well, I, I can tell you that in Sebastian's case, he'll let you know. Start rubbing. Ain't nobody else going to do it, right? It's not going to rub itself. Get no. on that job, right? <laughs> Are you the official belly rubber in the uh, Well, in the morning, house? Yeah. you know, in the morning, I'm the first one up. And he responds to, stimu- you know, the activity. And he comes right over and he says, listen, it's been a long night. Start rubbing. <laughs> Does he assume the position rolls over on his back? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. All right. So the next All time right. you're, t- you're talking to someone and they say something particularly, I don't know, erudite, you can say in your best talking to dogs voice who wants a bausch pinzellen who wants a bausch pinzellen i love it you go all right uh so we are into the silly season uh election uh, season 2021 wait a minute before we go there because we're going to yeah. spend like an enormity of time doing election stuff i just yeah. wanted to point out you know you may find that masks you know the medical masks that we're all wearing Right. are not really necessary from a scientific and statistical point of view. Right. But it's a new fashion statement. It's like, you know, do you remember when Kennedy became president, men stopped wearing hats up to the Kennedy administration. Everybody had a fine hat, a fedora, you That's know, true. all kinds of stuff. And that all went away. This could be the new fashion accessory. Well, I hope not, but I, I, I agree with you because I see the uh, the young uh, the young kids on the street corner wearing outside with nobody around them, but they wear that they got the ball cap, they've got the sunglasses, they've got the mask, and they usually have some sort of uh, hearing apparatus like uh, you know earphones uh, affixed to their head, and so it's I don't know they look like uh, some sort of a Borg or something, and I think I think you're right, I think that's what they're doing. It's it's a fashion statement. Right. Well, like I have a Spider Man mask that my daughter made for me. Right. I'm a big fan of Spider-Man. I've got a Simpsons mask she made for me. Right. So, you know, I'm, you know, I, I decide which one am I going to wear today? <laughs> sure. You've got one for every occasion. <laughs> one for every occasion. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's go to your recorded bits. You're so, you sound so despondent. These are short, Lou. These okay. are short. I just All want right. to get your reaction to these. All okay. Right. So so here we have, you know, first of all, kicking off the uh, the campaign uh, and our prime minister is asked about he's, he's asked about, you know, the economy and about monetary policy. So here's the erudite prime minister, Justin Trudeau, on monetary policy. Let's have a listen. I don't know. When I think about the biggest, most important economic policy this government, if reelected, would move forward, you'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy. I mean, here we have the leader of a G7 country saying he doesn't think I guess the, the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because I don't think his father gave much consideration for monetary policy. But, you know, as someone who's, uh, you know, a, a stock analyst and who who studies economics and finance, what do you think of a of the leader of a country saying he doesn't think much about monetary policy? Well, I mean, it makes it calls to mind the back end of a horse. Nothing more. 
There you go. There you go. I mean, granted, for a lot of people maybe who who don't follow this stuff closely, it's not the sexiest topic, monetary policy. They'd much rather have, you know, handouts like money for child care. But, uh, you know, talking about things like inflation and and stimulus and, and, uh, you know. It's immature. That's the best, the kindest. It's very immature. And that's why 53% of Canadians only have, we're only $200 away from insolvency pre-pandemic. Right, because right? they, they don't, they don't give much attention. thought. They, they don't, don't give much attention. thought to monetary policy. All right, here's another brilliant statement from, uh, from Trudeau uh, on uh, the recession and the recovery post-pandemic. It is exactly the example of the kinds of things you need to do to counter the she session she session and turn it into a she-covery. A she session and a she covery. He actually said that out loud. He actually said that out loud. Talk about pandering. Well, what do you think? Could you crawl inside that rat's maze of a brain of his for a moment and try to explain what he might be trying to convey here in terms of a she session and a she covery? Well, you know, again, I'll just refer back. You know, it comes to mind at the back end of a horse and what comes out of it. That's about all I can say about this piece of crap. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've been wondering, you know, listen, uh, vaccinated, unvaccinated people have the right to make their choice and they should. And, and certainly people that are feel that are vulnerable. I wouldn't hesitate, you know, to say, talk to your doctor, get a vaccine. But I just find and I don't know how you feel about this, but I find that that a lot of the vaccinated people, especially on social media that want to talk about how they've been vaccinated or, you know, uh, they seem really angry. Have a listen to this. We're not a country that makes vaccination oh, sorry. mandatory, uh, yeah, for example. That's the wrong one there. Uh, sorry, it's the angry lady, Jacob. Sorry, I jumped ahead. The oh, angry lady. But we want to encourage everyone. My daughter just called and her boyfriend has tested positive. He's the only person in his work that's wearing a mask out of, you know, 300 people. And now my daughter, who's 29 weeks pregnant, is at risk. And uh, I hate every single f***ing one of you who refuses to wear a f***ing mask to protect others. I f***ing hope this virus finds you. I hope it finds you, and I hope it f***ing destroys you. Because the people that are trying to do their part in this are getting sick because of you stupid, ignorant f***ing morons. So... Please get vaccinated. I don't know. Is there an ingredient in these vaccines that are turning people into, as you say, the backside of a horse? I mean, well, I'm she... not sure, but I can say this. Uh, if she eats with that mouth, I'm not sure what she's getting. Exactly. Exactly. I just I don't understand the anger. Uh, OK, so well, she has... if, if your daughter is pregnant right. and you're you think that the the infant, the embryo and the wife the daughter are at risk. Yeah, it's going to raise the hackles on you, right? Well, we're, in that sense, we're using that logic. Logic, I guess you know we're all at risk. That the question is, how do you mitigate your risk? And her husband is wearing a mask, but apparently he doesn't seem con or it doesn't didn't work for him. He still he tested positive. Although again, you know, the question is, what does that mean? He tested positive. He's a case. Is that necessarily an infection? I don't know. Uh, is his is his pregnant uh, wife? Is she is she vaccinated? If she's vaccinated, she's 
she should have confidence that it works, except we know now that vaccinated or unvaccinated, it doesn't matter. The virus will find you. Well, I, you know, I I think that there's a certain level of concern in the market. For example, this past weekend, I got conjunction uh, conjunctive itis, which is pink eye. Right, right. And, you know, there was an immediate Google search that said it's a sign of COVID. And I had to quell that, you know, peasants revolt. No, I'm not sick. <laughs> right. I'm you fine. actually got pink eye. Yeah. Right. You know, you got pink eye. Yeah. OK, there you go. It's not a COVID sign. Sign right. of the devil. Six, <laughs> six, pink eye. <laughs> there you go, my friend. All right. You take care of that, uh, that pink eye. And we'll uh, we'll be back tomorrow. God willing, my friend. God willing. Happy capitalism. Happy capitalism. All right. We'll launch our uh, candidates uh, discussions here on the program with the uh, member of the People's Party of Canada for Thornhill. Samuel Greenfield joins me next right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. So we'll kick off our 2021 election coverage today. We're going to try and reach out to uh, speak with as many Uh, candidates running in this federal election as possible across the GTA. And today we'll start with my riding of Thornhill and Samuel Greenfield is running for the People's Party of Canada. Sam, welcome to the program. How are you? Good afternoon, Richard. I'm well, thank you. And thanks for having me on your show. Just uh, give me a a kind of a a 30 second uh, biography of yourself. Who are you, your connection to the community? What do you do? Yeah, I'm a small business owner. I, I have a swimming pool maintenance business, Thornhill Pool Service. And uh, before that, I did a, a degree in uh, journalism at Ryerson University. Uh, when that didn't work out, I uh, started uh, a business and I've never looked back since. Um, I'm a father with three small children and uh, I'm just really worried about the direction that our uh, country uh, is going in. And, and so that's why I've decided to uh, to get involved in, involved in this election. All right. I'm going to ask you a question that every People's Party uh, of Canada candidate gets asked. And it's, you know, the one I'm going to ask, and that is about splitting the vote. The the people are so uh, the people that are fed up with the liberals are so concerned that the People's Party is going to split the vote, quote, end quote. And and therefore, it could possibly mean uh, maybe a minority government for uh, for the liberals or even a majority government. And uh, so. How do you respond to that, that the People's Party is going to split the conservative vote and cost seats? Well, I would say at this point in time, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, look, if Stephen Harper were still prime minister, I wouldn't be doing this. this is, that's what I, uh, what I tell people. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the, uh, the conservatives are not conservative anymore. Uh, if you look at their campaign promises about uh, if you look at in terms of what they're talking about uh, during this election, uh, they're really not talking uh, about conservative values. They're talking about uh, you know, building a million homes or, um, you know, forcing large uh, federal uh, regulate, federally regulated companies to have worker rep- representation on their uh, management board. Sounds like something uh, the NDP would say. Uh, look, if you like Doug Ford, progressive conservative, uh, you, you, we all see how that went, right? And uh, so if you want more of the same, if you want to incentivize, uh, you know, uh, the conservative party to move even further to the, to the left, uh, then, yeah, vote for the Conservatives, and that's what you're going to get. But I will remind people that it was the Reform Party that gave us Stephen Harper. And so we have to have a long game. We have to get our house in order on the Conservative side of the spectrum. And we can, and that's what the PPC is here for. All right. You mentioned the long game. It may be a long game. Um, 
we have, according to some polls, we have the PPC uh, polling as high as 6% in some parts of the country and, uh, and others, other polls, obviously below that all important 4% threshold that would have gotten Max Bernier on the debate stage. How disappointing uh, is, is that, that he's not going to be on the debate stage? And how, uh, how are you going to get your message out uh, without Max on that debate stage? Well, we're working really hard here in Thornhill. Uh, we are out canvassing uh, a lot. We've got lots of volunteers. There's a lot of energy here on the ground. We're putting out signs. Uh, we had to uh, triple our first order of lawn signs, uh, you know, order more literature. Uh, so so we're, we're making up for that with, uh, you know, one-on-one contact with people at the door. And uh, the, 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 there's a buzz in the community. People are talking about the PPC. People are excited. And, uh, you know, it's a real shame that they wouldn't have Max in the leaders' debate. Uh, you know, in some polls, he's polling above the Green Party. The Green Party is going to be there. Max should be there, too. For me, uh, and I, I'm guessing many people listening, this is a really a one issue election. And it has to do with the possibility of vaccine passports, mandated vaccines. Um, and I and I know the, the, the PPC uh, policy on this. You know, you're against vaccine passports, you're, as, as am I, and mandated vaccines. But when you look at the polling and the mood of the people out there, it seems like the majority of people are fine with this and they're going to go along with this. How are you going to change your hearts and minds? And if you're going to you're the only party that's come out against passports and against vaccine mandates, how are you going to win over the majority? Uh, yeah, by sticking to a truly conservative measure, um, a message which is about uh, treating people with respect and respecting their their individual rights and freedoms. Uh, unfortunately, you know, and it's ironic, uh, uh, Trudeau is, uh, you know, it's oftentimes the left that accuses conservatives of, of using a populist message. But what he's doing is... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. He's, he's using uh, division and fear uh, to exploit the electorate. And that has to stop. And O'Toole won't stand up to him, and we will. And so that's why we're polling um, as well as we are. And it's only going to improve from here. Any prediction on the number of seats uh, for the PPC this election? Uh, I don't want to... Uh, <laughs> I don't want I don't have a crystal ball, unfortunately, uh, but I think uh, we could be in for some surprises. Uh, there's a lot of time left in the election. Uh, the PPC is really starting to pick up steam and anything is possible. Samuel Greenfield is running for the People's Party of Canada in the federal riding of Thornhill. Sam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Richard. All right. When we come back, do masks work? A review of the evidence. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. 
An article titled, Do Masks Work? A Review of the Evidence was published in City Journal. It's a publication of the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research, a leading free market think tank. The author, Jeffrey H. Anderson, served as a director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics from 2017 to 2021 and is co-creator of the Anderson and Hester Rankings part of college football's bowl championship series formula from 1998 to 2014. He joins us now. Jeff, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, Richard. How are you doing? Very well. Before we dive into the uh, the evidence, just let's spend a couple of minutes explaining a little bit about who you are and what your role was, first of all, as director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Well, I ran the bureau that is responsible for putting out all the crime stats for the federal government on crime and punishment in the United States. And uh, I did that from 2017 to uh, early 2021. And um, I've been uh, involved in various uh, policy circles in the Washington, D.C. area for a number of years. Before that, I taught as a uh, professor of political science at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado. Um, I also, uh, some of your college football uh, fans among your listeners might be interested to know that I developed one of the computer rankings that was used by the Bowl Championship Series and uh, helped decide college football's national championship game matchup. All right, so people listening might be saying, all right, Jeffrey knows statistics. Why does that make him qualified to talk about the efficacy of masks? Well, what I did in the City Journal piece was looked at all of the medical research that's been done um, the, the, on, on masks and their e- efficacy and their, their ability to prevent the spread of viruses. Um, and I, like any other uh, you know, reasonable, in, reasonably inquisitive person, can go through and look at these studies and see what they say. Um, it's actually sort of similar to a lot of the work we did at the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Um, I wasn't conducting the research. Um, I certainly would not pretend to be uh, someone who would know how to treat someone in a medical capacity or um, or, or, or dispense medical advice. But the uh, but looking at the research is quite another matter. And and it's you know any of this research that's not clear enough for for uh, the intellectually engaged person to look at is probably. Uh, problematic anyway. You begin the article talking about some of the early pronouncements from people at the CDC and the World Health Organization or the the health emergency program at the the World Health Organization and how that suddenly shifted all in the span of really a few days. Let's just kind of go through what the early pronouncements were and then how that changed. I think you, you actually have a demarcation point, April 3rd, 2020. Everything seems to go in the opposite direction. Right. For the month or so before that, series of weeks, the the CDC, the Surgeon General, for that matter, the World Health Organization, had put out statements saying um, the masks really don't work to stop the spread of viruses. People should not go buy them and wear them. And in fact, they can be counterproductive. They they made that point that masks can actually increase the spread of viruses because uh, they didn't necessarily elaborate all that much, but the the research shows that or suggests that the virus can get on the mask and then people touch the mask and they touch their eyes, they touch other surfaces, other people even, and, and they can spread the virus rather than letting it sort of usually harmlessly dissipate into the air. So this was the, the prevailing view was don't wear masks. The, the Surgeon General sent out a a tweet declaring quite uh, boldly, do not wear, you know, don't wear masks. They, they're counter, it can be counterproductive. And then all of a sudden, 
there was a press conference where the Surgeon General um, came out on April 3rd and said, all right, now everyone, everyone should wear masks. And the truth is there really hadn't been any change in the research over that period of time. It was just an abrupt change of position. Right. And as you point out in the article, 15 months later, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul is suspended from YouTube. He's a medical doctor, a medical doctor suspended from YouTube for, for, for saying most of the masks you get over the counter don't work. We'll take a quick time out, Jeff. When we come back, we'll review some of the randomized control trials that have been conducted over the last 20 years or so. Compare those to something called observational or cohort studies. Jeff Anderson is the author of Do Masks Work? A Review of the Evidence. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. We are back with Jeffrey H. Anderson, author of Do Masks Work? A Review of the Evidence. One of the things that you drill down on in this article, Jeff, is RCTs. What are RCTs exactly? So RCTs are randomized control trials, which, as the name suggests, randomly put people into, uh, say, a group that wears masks and a group that doesn't wear masks, and they test how that plays out over time. And they're the recognized gold standard in medical research because you can actually see what happens when two randomly allocated groups of people get a treatment or don't get a treatment. And, and you can see cause and effect. You can isolate the variable, in this case, wearing a mask. Um, everyone recognizes the randomized control trials are the gold standard in medical research. Um, and yet the the CDC is ignoring the randomized control trials that have been done on masks because they don't like the results they've shown. And instead, they're relying on much weaker so-called observational studies that basically just observe what's going on in society, more like sociology. They're much more apt to be politicized, uh, conducive to finding what you want to find. They don't have a control group. They can't isolate a variable. They can't really show cause and effect. These much weaker studies are the ones the CDC is relying upon to try to back up its mask guidance. Right. And we'll talk about there are different types of RCTs. We'll get into those in a moment, time permitting. But let's talk about the observational studies or cohorts. And one of them that is sort of held up as, you know, the be all and the end all involves a fairly small study utilizing a couple of hairdressers. Tell me about this. Right. The CDC really plays this study up. They put out a press release on it, which is somewhat unusual for them. They put it, they give it pride of placement in their list of studies that supposedly back up their guidance. Um, but it's not a randomized controlled trial. It's, it's an observational study where a couple of hairdressers in Missouri got COVID and continued to cut hair after they were showing symptoms. But they wore masks and the people getting their hair cut mostly wore masks. There's and nobody who had their hair cut by these stylists was found to have COVID, um, although uh, there's a lot of people who could have had it and just been asymptomatic or chose not to tell the authorities that they had COVID. But um, even if you take it at face value that, they, that nobody got COVID, the study really doesn't tell us much of anything. Um, people, hairdressers generally... Um, cut hair from behind, not face-to-face. The, they could have just not been coughing very much. The ventilation could have been really good in the building. Um, 
furthermore, COVID is mostly contagious. It's most contagious before you start showing symptoms. And all the people who had their hair cut during that period of time when the hair cutters hadn't shown symptoms yet, those people were not tested. And, and most importantly, there's no control group in this study. No, nobody has any idea what would have happened if, uh, if people had not been wearing masks. There was a case, an instance in Virginia, where a gym had 50 people had come in contact with a trainer who, at this gym, people apparently typically did not wear masks, and a trainer had contacted 50 people. The trainer had COVID, and none of those 50 people uh, were ever got COVID, according to CNN. Does that show that not wearing masks, um, you know, protects you against COVID? Of course not, and neither does the Missouri study show the opposite. Right. It's the old correlation does not equal causation. So exactly. you looked at, I believe there were 14 randomized clinical trials that you looked at. So just uh, tell me about some basic general conclusions based on these 14 RCTs. Sure. Again, these are the gold standard studies. They were all done within the past 15 years or so. And uh, they tested whether, vir- whether masks prevent the spread of viruses. And collectively, they show little to no evidence that masks work to reduce the spread of viruses and some evidence that masks can be counterproductive. Um, the, uh, the studies were done across the world. Um, a couple of the more interesting ones are the there was a study done in Denmark Um, During the COVID-19 period, the only randomized control trial to be conducted during the COVID period, and it found that after a month, 2% of the people who wore masks and 2% of the people who didn't wear masks had gotten COVID. No statistically significant difference. Um, The CDC has basically buried this study or taken shots at it while holding up the inferior hairdresser study as as the standard we should look to. Another study showed that as much as there's very little evidence that the medical or surgical masks do any good, the cloth masks are probably even worse. One study found statistically significant evidence that cloth masks were, were worse, 13 times worse, actually, than, um, than the surgical masks in preventing the spread of viruses. All right, we'll take another quick time out. We'll come back and we'll talk about some of the other methods, clinical trial methods, including subgroups, multivariables, and so forth. Jeffrey Anderson, my guest, the author of Do Masks Work? A Review of the Evidence. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Jeffrey Anderson stays with us. The article is Do Masks Work? A Review of the Evidence. This was published in City Journal, a publication of the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research. It's a leading free market think tank. The other types of RCTs, one of them is called a multivariable analysis. Can you talk to me about that? Well, there. so once somebody runs a randomized control trial, it, it comes down to a question about um, how they're going to analyze the data. And the, the way they analyze it that's actually consistent with an RCT being the gold standard is to use intention-to-treat analysis. And what that basically means is that, kind of as the name suggests, if someone is intended to be treated in a particular way, say they're put in a group that's supposed to wear masks, that's, that's, they need to stay in the study even if they violated the research protocol. And the reason that's important is because um, it's sort of twofold, that if somebody uh, 
if somebody violates the um, the research protocol, you, you still need to keep your randomized groups where one one group of people was put in one group, one group in another. If you if you deviate from that and you start letting people sort of self-select into a treatment group, you've lost the randomization that's so key to a randomized controlled trial. And and research has shown that um, there's a placebo effect uh, even where people who who tend to follow the rules and and abide by the study. Can, can declare that there's been results, that things work, even when they're given a placebo, even when there's, there's something that is, has no effect whatsoever. So it, it's crucial to stick with the intention to treat analysis rather than um, multivariable analysis or um, per protocol analysis, subgroup analysis, these, some of these other ways of doing things. When you include another let's say, treatment or protocol like hand hygiene, rigorous hand washing, and you combine that with mask wearing. What did the RCTs show there? Well, one found statistically significant evidence that hand washing alone was more effective than hand washing in combination with mask wearing, suggesting that um, mask wearing actually can undermine the effects of of hand washing again, probably because people touch the masks and um, the masks become sort of uh, you know disease receptacles. And did any of the RCTs show any statistically significant efficacy in mask wearing? Only one, and that was one of the smallest ones um, <clears> that was conducted in the in tents in the desert in Saudi Arabia, and. Uh, and it was contradicted within the own, its own study. Um, it used, well, first off, uh, quite different from the, all the other randomized control trials, which actually tested whether people had fevers as part of the analysis of whether people were getting sick. This study, um, somewhat strangely, allowed for, quote-unquote, subjective fever to be reported. Um, and then when they did lab tests, they found opposite results, that the people who had um, had worn masks actually ended up being more apt to have gotten the virus, not to a statistically significant degree, but nevertheless, the fact that the lab tests pointed in the opposite direction from the subjective fever, I think really draws, you know, brings this, the conclusions of that study into great uh, question. But that was the only one that found statistically significant evidence that masks work. So, so based... In intention to treat analysis. Right. So based on your experience and knowledge dealing with statistics. Is there any statistical evidence, any scientific evidence based on these studies that point towards the efficacy of mask wearing? No, not really. I mean, not statistically significant evidence that's, that's not contradicted within the own, its own study. I mean, a few of the studies sort of hinted that there could be a benefit from mask wearing, but that it was just a, a sort of lean. It didn't provide statistically significant results, and only three of them were in that category out of 14. The other 11 either suggested that masks were probably useless or probably counterproductive, either in relation to nothing or in relation to things like hand-washing alone. And, and some of those studies did find statistically significant evidence to, to support the notion that masks are um, counterproductive. And, and yet, across the United States, in Canada, school boards across the country invoking a mask mandate for children as young as four, five years old, the science or the statistics don't support this, this, uh, these mask mandates. What do you think is, is going on here, Jeffrey? Why are they pursuing this? 
Well, I think public health officials love public health interventions, Richard. I mean, they, this is sort of their reason for being. I think the CDC probably panicked, wanted to be seen as doing something. Um, you know, over time, they, they've become very powerful in this process, and they're certainly not going to reverse field now because their credibility is largely on the line. But I think we're doing tremendous damage, um, both in the United States and in Canada, by masking these small children who, who learn a tremendous amount from seeing facial expressions. Um, I mean, the, I have a whole other piece I wrote, if I can put a quick plug yes. in for that, called, called The Masking of America at the Claremont Review of Books that talks about the societal costs of mask wearing. Uh, apart from the question of whether they work. How is the article being received, Jeffrey? Well, both articles have gotten a great response. Um, I think there's a real appetite for looking at the evidence. But it is interesting um, that uh, uh, both LinkedIn and Facebook have, uh, have banned or censured the articles. Um, and, uh, I mean, like the article, Do Mass Work? A review of the evidence was, uh, was taken down by, by LinkedIn, um, and, and you can't you can't link to it, and uh, and on Facebook they just slap a, a a little label on it that says masks do work. This is misinformation. So uh, apparently, a review of the evidence is not what some people want. Precisely, Jeffrey, you're doing great work. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. Jeffrey Anderson is uh, the author of Do Masks Work: A Review of the Evidence. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. Back tomorrow, God willing, to do it all over again. Homeschooling advice with Ruth. Michelle Easton, the author of How to Raise a Conservative Daughter. Plus, News Not in the News, the German Word of the Day, and much, much more. The Brian Crombie Hour is next. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4 p.m. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Tuesday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. Baratapapa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado. Hay dos cosas que son absolutamente ciertas. Abuelita te ama y nunca diría que no a McDonald's. Date un gusto con un Grandma McFlurry en tu orden hoy. Es lo que abuela quisiera. 
Barata, papa. En McDonald's Participantes por Tiempo Limitado.